intro music boom I don't think that's actually how our music goes. I probably should do a better job of knowing how our music goes. Record. Check. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check to the left. Mic check to the right. Oh, this is in mono, so actually there is no left and right. It's all just straight ahead. Hey there. Welcome to the episode six of Two Most Difficult. My name's Paul. I'm Laura. And we are stuck in the house. We live here on the East Coast in the state of Massachusetts. And uh, it is Snowpocalypse. Bombogenesis. Oh, wow. Bombogenesis? I don't know. I, I, I don't know that word. That's great. It's whatever the word is when the perfect storm yeah. is. Bruin. Bruin. Giant, giant nor'easter here. Snow. I think we got... I think we got like 18, 20 inches of snow in our driveway. It's really hard to tell because of the wind. <laughs> yeah. Like our car has almost no snow on it. Yeah. But there our- are also <laughs> these four foot yeah. s- snow dunes. Our car has 18 to 20 inches of snow around it. Exactly. It'll be <laughs> yeah. fun to drive out. Yeah. So uh, we've been in the house. We've been a little stir crazy. One of the things we did was we wanted to tell you, dear listener, Give you a brief little aside here. I know it's not a board game, but it's a digital version of a card game that doesn't exist uh, called Inscription. So fun. Yeah, really fun. Uh, Indie game by Daniel Mullins Games. I kind of just want people to go into it uh, completely not knowing anything about it. So that's what I'll say. Well, I would like to at least lay out that one of the reasons we're mentioning it, not not just because we've played it recently, but it for board game fans, the... Heart of Inscription is a card game. Yeah. That is part deck builder, mostly deck builder, mostly really. deck builder. Uh, and has a just a really couple of really cool mechanics that I think any, any, you know, card game aficionado. Yeah. It's a little bit like battle line, I think. Oh. Um, yeah. There's a battle line component. Yeah. To it. So I think we'll just leave it at that. Inscription. We played a lot of that in the lead up and uh, the, the, as the storm approached, we wrapped it up. We think it's great, and we'll just kind of just throw that out there. This is a little freebie, a little freebie for you, dear listener. But the main focus this episode today, we are going to talk about games having to do with art. This is our most cultured. Our most cultured. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Podcast yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Games having to do with creating art, having to do with selling art, uh, and just those two things. Mm-hmm. No games about destroying art. That would that would be that would be a weird Where is game. that game? I don't know. Someone should get on get on it. Someone get out there and make a game about destroying art. Rounding up all the art and then destroying it. Fahrenheit four fifty two. One better. <laughs> anyway, that's that. And uh without further ado, let's open the curtain on this exhibition. No, no, not that kind of exhibition. No, no. The one involving art themed board games. For your pleasure, we have curated for you four, well, five, really, Yeah. art-themed games. <laughs> what are they? We've got the canvas. The canvas. Or just canvas. Yeah. 
Fresco. Mm-hmm. What else? Modern art. Modern art. Both versions. Both versions. And of course, the gallerist. The, is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the gallerist. The, <laughs> oh, lay. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm in a bad mood. Oh, yeah? Why? I got up at 5 in the morning this morning. That is extremely early. I got up at 5 in the morning because I needed to get out to the marketplace to go buy some stuff. But because I was the first person there, they're like, give us all the money you have for this stuff. So what you're saying is things were more expensive? Things were more expensive when I got up early. Well, that just makes me even crabbier. That put me in such a crabby mood. Maybe that guy who works for me shouldn't have looked at me the way he did. Does he still work for you? No, he took off. I Apparently that's happened more than once because uh, I just keep getting up early and it just keeps putting me in a bad mood. Meanwhile, you're over. You're just singing along like birds. You've got like Tweety birds. You know, sleeping you. in means that things are cheap at the market. I mean, yeah, you don't get your first pick of market. Sure. Because the right. other ones are closed. I mean, I guess. Okay. But everything's cheap when you go... <sighs> And usually you can find somebody else who, like, wants to help you paint later, too, just because you've got such a good attitude. Look, restoring this giant cathedral is stern work for stern people. Fresco! Fresco! From Queen Games, it is by Marco Ruskowski and Marcel... Oh, wow, I have no idea how to say that name. That is a S... With an ooh, with an umlaut. Suselbeck. What is that letter? It looks like a B. That's an S. It's a double S in German. How would you know? I know, Paul. What did you live in Germany or something? Actually, <laughs> for a period of time. Mein Familie hat im Deutschland gelebt. A game by Marco Ruskowski and Marcel Suselbeck, for two to four players, aged ten years and above. So uh, let's go over how the game plays, and then we can talk about uh, what we think. On the board, in front of you, you have uh, the, the, the main feature of the board is 25 fresco tiles laid out in front of you. Um, a fresco tile has a point value and a combination of colors, of primary colors and secondary colors, and depending on if you play with certain modules, tertiary colors. Uh, for example, red and blue are your primary colors. Mix those together. You get yourself some purple yeah <laughs> thank goodness we have this card to tell us thank goodness we have this we had not only it's mentioned in no fewer than two places that red and blue make purple this it's is a learning game learning game you uh, know what else i learned that yes to get pink you mix purple and red mm, does not compute and brown is orange and green so i'm actually grateful for the cards <laughs> for that module so you have your fresco tiles in the middle You have up at the top of the board, you have uh, some market stalls. And down at the bottom of the board, you have some places for some portraits to go. And on the left side, you have your wake-up times, the bonuses and penalties you get, and also your current mood, hashtag current mood. And then down in the lower left, you have a spot for some objectives. Now, I'm a little hesitant in describing how the board is laid out because... Depending on what modules you play with, the contents may change. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just spoil you, dear listener. 
Uh, do not play with anything less than the full complement of modules in this, and that's how we're going to be talking about how the game is played. Well, we could say for just a quick second that we did play the game without modules, and it was boring. Boring. <laughs> do not do it again, ever. Uh, don't like. Don't even play it with your maybe. Maybe with a kid? Yeah, maybe with a kid. Maybe with a 10-year-old kid. Let's just cover a standard round of the game. At the top of the round, people can uh, get some income if they have any coming to them. And uh, then the first thing that happens is uh, the players decide who's going to wake up at what time. That's right. Apparently in the world of Fresco, if Laura wakes up at 6, nobody else can wake up at 6 for some reason. I like to imagine there's like a person walking around waking us up. And so he has to kind of hoof it around the (laughs) town to wake people up. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch thematically. Yeah. But it is how you determine the turn order for that round. So it's a necessary step. Yeah. Uh, At the beginning of the game, you randomly decide what order people get to choose what time they wake up. And then for the rest of the game, whoever is in last place point-wise gets to be the first person to decide what time they wake up. And that carries on all the way through to whoever's in the lead. So the players decide what time they're going to wake up. And then players decide where they're going to send their little workers. Every player gets a complement of five little workers that they can assign to the different spots on the board that I described earlier. So behind your privacy screen, at the beginning of every round, you will assign these workers to your grid, which has three spots for each of five different spaces. You have the market, you have the painting fresco area, You have the painting portraits area, you have the mixing paints area, and you have the drama slash mood (laughs) the theater (laughs) improvement area. The theater. There you are. People jumping around and juggling balls and 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 farting on each other, I think, was as was the theater of the time. Indeed, when you go to the theater, it does increase your (laughs) mood. So there you have it. Yep. As I said, you can send up to three to each area. When you go to the market, you can Buy paints. Buy paints. Mm -hmm. The marketplace is made up of booths. Each of these booths has an increasing number of tiles available to them. So booth three has more tiles available than booth two, and booth two has more tiles available than booth one. More options, less options. More options, fewer options. More options, fewer options? Twelve items are fewer. Mm. I have less money, but I have fewer paints. (laughs) More choice, less choice. More choices, fewer choices. Okay, onward. (laughs) In wake-up order, the person who got up earliest gets first dibs on what they want from the marketplace. But every one of these tiles that they buy is more expensive. So they wake up, they pick one of these three booths, and they can buy as many tiles from that booth as they want or can afford Or they can just be a jerk and not buy anything and just close the whole booth down so that nobody can have it. In fact, anytime you shop at a market, you close it down for future players. Yeah, no one can come to the booth after you. Once once you're there, no one else can follow you. So you you buy your paints in wake-up order. Maybe there's nothing good for you left, but at least it's cheap. Then we move on to the cathedral step where you actually commit some of your paints to removing these fresco tiles that are in the center of the board. The fresco tiles in the middle of the board have anywhere from two to three, I think, uh, paints on them. They will be some combination of 
primaries, secondaries, and tertiary colors. The more complicated the colors on the fresco tile that you wish to paint, the more points that tile will be worth, i.e. if there are tertiary colors on it, it will have a high number of victory points that it's worth. Good. Some more secondary colors, also more points, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you just simply take those cubes from behind your secret painting screen. area screen Yep. Uh, and turn them in, and you get to take the tile and advance the number of points. Hey, Laura. Yes, Paul. What's this little uh, pointy figurine that comes with the game that sits right in the middle of the board? You mean the thing that I forgot to mention when talking about painting the fresco tiles? Mm, possibly. Mm-hmm. What is it? That would be the bishop. The bishop. Before you paint a fresco tile, you move the bishop. Yeah. If you choose to paint a fresco tile that is where the bishop is positioned, then yeah. you get three extra victory points. If you are adjacent, orthogonally or diagonally, to where the bishop is, you get two extra victory points. So it typically behooves you to move the bishop towards where you are going to paint, if not onto the spot that you're going to paint for more points. How far can you move the bishop? One space. So you're telling me that when you decide to paint a fresco tile, you get an option to move the bishop one space in any direction in the hopes that you will get that bishop close to the tile that you plan on painting. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah, ideally right on top of that tile so that you can score mega points. Ideally. Yeah. So that's that's painting a fresco tile. Near the end of the game, you might notice that there are no fresco tiles that you can paint. Uh, you can always dump some of your paints into an area called the altar over at the side. Very inefficient way to spend your cubes. But since they're not worth any points at the end of the game, might as well dump them in there. Different combinations give you different points. We won't bore you with the numbers. Just know there's a place you can throw all your cubes near the end of the game. Then you can also choose to paint a portrait. This is the spot you will go to when you need more money because yeah. one option is always just to paint a portrait and get $3. You can also paint portraits for folks who will give you other bonuses that are not just financial but could be one-time bonuses of additional cubes or some victory points or some extra happiness at the theater, etc. Etc. All kinds of bonuses and stuff. Then you can also mix paints. This is one of the most important actions of the game and certainly one of the most mind-bending, I think. Yeah. Because you have to plan ahead with what you're going to mix for what you're going to be trying to paint next time. Yeah, you don't mix before you paint your fresco on this turn. You're mixing stuff for painting next turn. Exactly. And maybe you'll get lucky with what you ever, whatever you buy at the market, but mostly this is the crucial part for setting you up for the next turn. So, oh, man. So I got my red and my blue here. I could turn that into a purple, and then I got the yellow and the red and turn that into an orange. Uh, but then maybe next turn, if I can get myself a, a yellow and a blue, I turn that into a green. And then and then maybe, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to turn those. To, oh, uh, uh. There's a lot of time spent here I trying to work out the, the paint mixing part. Five in the morning for this? <laughs> yeah, a lot of blending. So you can, with each worker, make two blends. You can also, as the game advances, send a worker over to the workshop where that worker can turn in three of your completed fresco tiles of the same paint color. Yeah. Uh, any fresco tile you complete that has one of the secondary colors, one of the purple, orange, or greens on it, when you flip it over on the back, you'll have a splotch of that color on there. So if you complete three fresco tiles that have a purple on them, one of the things you can do is come down here to the workshop Turn in those three fresco tiles with the purple on them and get yourself a cool 10 points. 
It's actually one of the only other ways to get victory points during yeah. the course of the game, in addition to the majority of the points that you'll be getting from painting the fresco in the middle. Vast majority, yeah. Yep. And then the last thing you can do is, as we mentioned, go to the theater. The theater! Where you can laugh at some fart jokes and increase your mood. Oh, man, I'd love me some fart jokes. So what happens if your mood gets really high, Paul? If your mood gets really high, everyone loves you and they all want to come work for you. And by all, I just mean you get this one little neutral colored meeple uh, who can join your merry band of interns uh, (laughs) to go out and do your work for you. What happens if your mood gets really sour, Laura? Then you'll lose one of your workers, Paul. Uh, you didn't. You know what? They weren't worthy to work for you. <laughs> they can go think about what they've done. They're not up for CrossFit at five in the morning. They're weak. <laughs> the, the Renaissance CrossFit. <laughs> so there you go. There's your day. Market Cathedral Portrait Workshop Drama. When that's done, you kind of do a little bit of fiddly resetting of the board, prepare for the next day, and, and off you go and do it again. And you just do that over and over again uh, because of the way these portrait cards that we talked about earlier are, are stacked in a deck. You always lay out two new ones every round and there's 18 in the deck. So there's guaranteed to be no more than nine rounds in the game. That is the ultimate timer for the game. There's also the timer of how quickly the fresco in the middle gets painted. Yeah. The first round that you start with six or fewer unpainted fresco tiles, that is the last round. That's it. It just so happens that frequently when we're playing, those things end up syncing up pretty perfectly. Yeah, there's definitely a trajectory. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the final round of the game, this little grid that you've been putting your workers on gets flipped over, and the only thing that really changes is that you don't need to go get drama anymore. You can finally paint the fresco after mixing paints paint for the first time. For the first time. <laughs> at the very end of the game. Yeah. So I am going to propose a rule as we move into the discussion of how we think about this game. Neither of us are allowed to say drama anymore. What do you think? Dear listener, go ahead and, and, and let us know. Drama at twomostdifficult.com. And the survey is in, and everyone would like for us to please stop saying drama. Are you telling me that this is going out live? <laughs> what do we think about this game? We've played it three times. We played it once, the basic version. Boring. Hate nope, it. Nope. The two-player version has this uh, this dummy player, uh, Leonardo. That dummy player control goes back and forth between the players. And the dummy player really just... He's guaranteed to paint a fresco, and he's guaranteed to grab a portrait if he can. He's guaranteed to close down one of the market booths. So you'll usually use him to mess with the other player. And you alternate who has control. Yeah. So it's just back and forth. Take that. No, you take that. Okay, fine. Well, now you take that. There's a lot of take that in this game, period. So one of the things that I enjoy about the game is actually this when to wake up bit (laughs) it's a it's a nice balance also i don't know if we mentioned this but the player who has the fewest points is the one who gets to choose the time first yeah so it actually is a pretty powerful position to be in and this most recent game that we played i intentionally lagged behind the two of you yeah although i didn't want to get too far behind ever because that would be dangerous as well but just so that I could have first pick yeah. of what time to wake up. It's so important that there's even a rule that says if you're moving up the point track and you are going to land in the same space as someone else, you can't. So you have to make a decision. Do I want to be ahead of them in points or behind them in points? Mm-hmm. So if you are going to tie with someone, you get an extra free point. But now you don't have as much choice as, as to when to wake up. 
And that's just the beginning of us sticking it to everyone else. <laughs> so when you go to the market, you can yeah. stick it to people too by choosing which one to close down. Certainly if you have control of Leo as the yeah. dummy third player, you can do that. You can also, if you're paying attention to what cubes people have been mixing. Try. I try. It's as hard. As you were, like who's... Who has been secretly making the super powerful brown? The super all powerful brown. Yes. All hail brown. Mm-hmm. And so you can intentionally choose those from the fresco to paint. Yeah. You can definitely make it sure that nobody else gets the opportunity to paint a portrait with any of the nice bonus features. It's basically a constant sticking it to. You have to keep track of all the cubes. You have to make sure that you know exactly as best you can what everybody's prepping. Uh, because before you know it, someone will come along and boom, fresco changeo. They've just <laughs> taken that tile out from under you, and you've got you've got nothing. What are you gonna do now? I've committed two people to this to, to the fresco, and I can't do anything with them. And now I'm just gonna go and throw them in this pit over here for yeah. two points yep. instead. Throw these paints just in the garbage over here yeah. in the point in the point the altar garbage the altar garbage. <laughs> this game came with three modules inside of it which dear listener for the third time i think play with all the modules don't play the base game like play the full fresco here <laughs> there are 10 modules for this you could get a fresco big box well you can't get it anymore because it's not in print that leads me to talk about how would you dear listener get this game if you were interested in it you can't uh, you cannot get the fresco that we are describing, unfortunately, anymore. You got to get it secondhand. Did you find this used at PAX? Yes, I picked it up mm. used at PAX. There's plenty of used copies of this floating around out there. And if you want to get fresco, this is the version you want to get. Because out there is a new updated version called Fresco Revised Edition. Just came out within the last year or two. All new art. The cubes that we've been you know, jauntily talking about. Not anymore. Gone. Replaced with cardboard tokens. Mm. Uh, the modules that we're talking about, modules one, two, and three. Portraits, gone from the revised edition. Not a thing. Don't understand why. It's a real shame. Real bummer. I think the portraits add something really interesting to what is otherwise a boring, well, I guess I just need more money. Like it adds something extra and fun to race for. I really dig this game. It, it really caught me by surprise. Yeah, I agree. I think... After a really lackluster is a bit generous, I think. Yeah. Uh, first take on the really. unmoduled version. Baby's first Euro, almost. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Really. Yeah. Uh, I was very impressed with the modules. It was a lot more fun with the modules. Yeah. It has a little bit of that grinding your skull against what is the best I can possibly do for points, which nobody likes that. Wait a minute. I, I like that. Well, you don't count. You get out of here. What are you doing in my house? Get out of here. I'm not a huge fan of it either. I can tolerate a little bit of it. I play tend to play like, look, if I can't solve this puzzle in my brain in 10 seconds, I probably don't deserve to win. Like, I'm not the kind who wants to sit there and drag the game down just to try to figure out a way to eke out those extra points. Maybe you are. You're giving me the look. Oh, like you know that I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you kind of are. Uh, final thoughts. Is it a keeper? Is it a is it a, a not keeper? Whatever that word is. <laughs> uh, I do think it's a keeper. Yeah. It's not something that I'm super excited about playing. Okay. But I like it. Yeah. And I think it has a really nice approachable theme for a lot of people it's colors it's the, colors the you cube can, the cubing is who doesn't know colors <laughs> it's apologies to colorblind, colorblind people. people yeah sorry about that 
Yeah, it's colors. It's easy to explain, and people can wrap their head around it. Plus, it's got this guy with this really cool butt in the corner. Yeah, somebody gets to paint the butt. Who gets to paint the butt? I get to paint the butt. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's the deal? You got me up. You got me out of bed. You know I'm grumpy when I get up in the morning, so now here I am. Up for auction, I'd like to present for your viewing pleasure a fantastic new piece by Rafael Silvera. Never heard of him. Perhaps you'd recognize his uh, signature touch here with the frame that he's also illustrated. Okay. And here's the lady with a beehive here smoking a pipe that also turns into the cloud behind her. What? Then there's this there's this boat. She's already, it looks like she's on some sand with some tiny palm trees. I, what? It really speaks to the human condition, don't you think? Am I, am I on drugs right now? Are you on Seven dollars. Are you on so many drugs that now I'm on drugs? Seven dollars now. No, I wouldn't even pay, no. I wouldn't even pay... What's that? Eight dollars over there? The person to your left? Well, now, oh, well, hey, well, now, did you wait hear that? Hold on, wait sounds like hold on eight, now. Uh, 11, well, no, give me hang, twelve, twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Modern art, a game by Doctor Reiner Knizia. Hair, Doctor Reiner Knizia. Is he a board game doctor? He's the doctor of good times. He's very prolific, actually. Those of us who've been in the gaming hobby for a long time know him from his big deal releases back in the early 2000s. Modern Art is one of his auction trilogy comprised of this game, Raw, and a game called Medici. Uh, Raw and Medici, not as popular. Modern Art, though, this version released by Cool Mini or Not, a.k.a. Come on! They have taken this classic and they have updated it with fancier graphics, much larger and sturdier cards, and uh, just generally brought it forward to hopefully find a new audience. So I know some other folks who review games don't like big cards because they're hard to shuffle and they take up a lot of space on the table. But in this particular case, I really think that the cards shine. This is really beautiful cards, everybody. Uh, They are, they take five actual real artists and presumably they have paid them for their works. I pretty much guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah. And they're just really beautiful images and you have the, you know, the the image takes up the main part of the card and the little tag at the top that tells you who the artist is, what the name of the painting is and what type of auction it is. Yeah. Let's lay out how it plays. Uh, the game plays out over four rounds, and every round plays exactly the same. You've got this big deck of cards that initially everyone's going to be dealt some cards, something like 13 cards or something like that. And from those cards, it's going to go around and around the table with every player getting a turn to be an auctioneer. They get this little cardboard auctioneer gavel, and they get to choose one card from their hand to put up for auction. And the type of auction will be determined by the card that they put up for auction. There are four auction types. Plus a fifth auction type that's not really an auction type, you'll see. There's the open auction, which is the standard going, going, gone kind. There's the one offer auction, which is everyone around the table gets to make one bid. And then the auctioneer gets to decide if they will take the highest bid or or even outbid it a little bit and, and, take and have it, to pay the bank. And have to pay the bank. 
There's the hidden auction, which is everyone takes a secret amount of money and they put it in their hand and they all go one, two, three, reveal, and the highest gets that painting. And then finally, the fixed price, where the auctioneer sets a price and they go around the table once and the first person to say, I'll take it, gets that painting at that price. There's also the double auction, which by itself is not really an auction type, but what that means is you play that and you play another card. By the same artist. By the same artist, and it can't be another double, so you can't have a double-double. So you, maybe you'll do a double with an open auction, and what that means is these two cards are going up in this going-going-gone sale or the hidden auction or whatever. Play goes around like that, with every player getting a chance to be the auctioneer. And there's this fun little gavel that... They really should have included a 3D gavel, but it's a nice little cardboard token. So as you pass the gavel around, you can actually have order, the experience order, order yeah, in the court. of whacking it on the table. It's very satisfying. Is that not how auctions go? Maybe I need to attend more. <laughs> uh, play goes like that around and around the table until someone plays the fifth card of a particular artist. And then at that point, the round immediately stops. No auction happens. Nothing. Boom. Time to score. Time to score. So as you continue to go around and around with everybody leading an auction and then passing the gavel literally to the person to your left to lead their auction, you leave in front of you all of the paintings that you have accumulated so far so everybody can get a sense of who's looking like they're closest to being done. You know, where can the scales tip? And when you do play that final fifth card, it doesn't even get to be played. That just, just the Pulling out of that card ends the round. Boom. Straight to scoring. Yeah. How does scoring work, Paul? Scoring is pretty straightforward. You look at the number of paintings that have been purchased in that round, and the artist that sold the most, maybe the yellow sold the most, that artist uh, is worth $30 a painting. Uh, The second place is worth $20 a painting, and third place is worth $10 a painting. Easy. You just add up uh, every painting that you've purchased, get paid by the bank, and that's the end of the round. This is the part where I forgot to mention that players get more cards before each round. Then things get interesting in the second, third, and fourth round as you go on. Because when you slam down that fifth card in the second, third, and fourth round... Not only do you have the same scoring mechanism where the most popular painting painter in that round gets the thirty dollars, yep. second, twenty, yep. third, ten, etc., but if that artist had also won in previous rounds, yeah. you get to add whatever their the value of their painting was from that previous round as well. So you can start getting artists that are worth $100 a painting. Mm-hmm. $120 so a painting. A lot of money is moving around in the last round. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's it. You play four rounds of that, and whoever has the most money at the end wins. It's simple. It's uh, easy to explain. And uh, as we move into what we think about the game, very difficult for me to understand how to win. I don't get it at all. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. I dig it. I, I've, I've always liked this game. This is the second version of the game I bought. I used to have a little tiny box. Us old seasoned gamers might remember the Mayfair version. Some of you might even still have it on your shelf. Modern art, high stakes bidding in the galleries. I don't actually remember what happened to it. I may have let someone borrow it, and I just never saw it again. And then when I saw that Cool Mini or Not was coming out with a new version, I said, well, I, I got to get in on that. I miss my copy of Modern Art. 
and here we are talking about it for you right now, dear listener. It is such a crowd pleaser. Yeah. There is not a single person that we have introduced this game to who has been any less than delighted with it, I think. Yeah. The thing that I remember most fondly about playing this game is, of course, there was a game with our friends Alexis and Kate, and Kate came up with this great idea to, as you play the art you have up for auction, you must also name the art. And yes, listener, the artists do have the actual names of the art on these paintings, but there's something really, I think, interactive and fun (laughs) about coming up with a name while you're putting it out as you're looking at this thing, we're like, I don't even know what I'm looking at in some cases. Yep. Yeah. Uh, super fun uh, way to make the game a little more personal and uh, lighthearted. Yeah. But it's also just a cutthroat game, which I also appreciate. Yeah. It's, it's one of those games where you just don't realize the bad decisions you've made until it's too late. Like some <laughs> games you just go, oh, I just immediately. Uh, and, and you know what? I'm going to take that back a little bit. If you spend a bunch of money on someone who ends up not even placing because then the next player after you does that double auction, boom, boom, to put down four and five of that artist, and now you you just spent a bunch of money on someone who didn't even place, okay, that's an instantly bad decision. <laughs> but most of the time, you're not going to realize where you screwed up until much later, if at all. If you play with a group of people who don't quite know what they're doing, like if you somehow cloned me and played against three copies of me, you could probably get some really interesting play styles. Well, we had uh, Alexis the other night. Our friend Alexis was here playing this game with us, and she didn't win many auctions. No. She'd bid, she but she'd try. rarely be the last builder, yeah. bidder. And there were several times where, at least I think, at least two rounds, yeah. where she had nothing in her tableau. Yeah, what would happen, she would be like, closed auction. Everyone would put money in their hand, and it'd be like, $20, $18, $23. And she would open her hand and be like, two. Yep, exactly. She had no interest in collecting our no. But what she did do is win. Yeah. And how she did get there, I can only assume looking back on yeah. it was just <laughs> really intelligently picking what she sold yeah. on her turn because yep. you know as we mentioned when you win the auction you have to pay that money to the person who put the card up for auction so if you're really smart about you know what you're auctioning off and you're keeping an eye on where the current value is of things or the perceived value is of things you might be able to totally take advantage of it and that's exactly what she did yeah so that any game that lets you just kind of circumvent uh, in a clever way, mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing everyone else is trying to do, that's a fine line to tread because it can go from, well, then why are we even playing this game to, oh, that was very clever. You know, let's raise a toast to Alexis. Hey. Stealth winner. Stealth winner. This is a short and sweet review because this is a short and sweet game. Uh, it's kind of a throwback to back when games were a little more straightforward. You Not these big multi-phase, multi-round affairs that we have today, which are are fine, but... This is there's a reason this is a classic. There's a reason this game continually keeps, you know, get getting remade, and I think it's a, a very stands up very well in today's environment. Uh, it's a very good card game. You know what would be even better is if we could take this card game and just distill it down to the essence without the auction mechanism. Yeah, if we took this card game and we released a stripped down version mm-hmm. and we called it Modern Art. The card game. What? Boom, right there. Modern art card game. Also by Cool Mini or not. That's right. This is a double review. You're getting twice your value for your money, dear listener. 
What we have here is a stripped down version of the auction game. It's modern art sans auctions. So it's interesting to me that they call it modern art card game when really <laughs> yeah. the original modern art is also is also a card a game. card game but i think it does try to at least capture and with the smaller box of course oh, as well yeah. it really do kind of hit home like this is a even lighter this version a of that other version. game that you love yeah without the without the um auction mechanism so if you have folks that you uh, want to introduce to games and you're like modern art is beautiful and it's a crowd pleaser and everybody loves it but like seriously the auction mechanic is too much for my friends yeah you want modern art card game let's talk just for a brief second about how it's different uh it plays almost exactly the same you got a deck of cards everyone gets you know a bunch of them 13 or whatever and then everyone takes turns instead of being an auctioneer they just Play a card from their hand. And you play it to your own tableau. To your so own tableau. You don't have to worry about anything from your hand going to somebody else. You just play it right in front of you. Yep. And instead of auction types, you have special abilities like draw a card, put it into your hand, or play a second card from the same artist, or play a second card face down from anyone, or everyone gets to play uh, any card that they want. Uh, things like that. So when someone plays that card that ends the round, we still do the same scoring. You look around and you say, oh, blue is the most popular artist this round. That's uh, $3 for every blue painting. Uh, orange is the second, so that's $2. And green is the third, so that's $1. Uh, but also what makes this game different is once the round is ended, anyone with a card in their hand that matches one of those three leading artists for the round gets kind of a last second chance to play one card from each of those three artists so that they can catch up and if they if they think that those cards aren't going to be worth anything later on, which is not something the auction version of the game lets you do. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you would do if you looked at the odds and you saw, okay, we're, you know, we're four rounds in and we've exhausted most of the Manuel Carvalho cards, then you might think, ah, my best bet right now is to play this as an extra card uh, to my tableau because it's not likely to actually help me win more points in the future. Whereas conversely, if you see some artists who are like, I know there's a lot more to come for that Ramon Martins. I have a bunch of Ramon Martins in my hand. Yeah, I will hang on to that when I think that it will be worth more because of the compounding uh, value for a future round. So we've got Modern Art, the auction game, and now it's Little Baby Brother Modern Art card game. Uh, what do we think of modern art card game compared to its uh, older, handsomer sibling? <laughs> I think one of the things that I I find to be a great distinction between these two and might help you decide which version is for you, dear listener, is that the full modern art gets very mathy. Yeah. Because you have to come up with a number for everything. And so you're constantly looking at the board thinking, how much is this person worth if they place? Where do I think they're going to place, etc.? Which can be really fun if you have a brain for that and you like that kind of math problem, but can also be somewhat tiring, especially when other people are on the same page as you and there truly is like an optimal price to be paid. So... The reason why I think that this smaller card game version might be more of a general crowd pleaser is 
the decisions that you make don't have to be quite so specific in that way. You just yeah. need to decide which color you're going to play, possibly which which one you're going to hide. Yeah. I like I really like that one added element in the card game yeah. where one of the abilities is to play a secret other Man, face that's down fun. card. That's it's super so fun. fun because everyone thinks they know what's going to be the most popular, when the second most popular, etc. Yeah. But when you flip those invisible cards or those hidden cards, uh, that can sometimes turn the tide. So here's the beauty about this uh, modern art card game, twenty bucks or or less. Modern art auction game, twenty five, maybe thirty bucks. It's the cardboard gavel that costs five or ten dollars. It's that extra, that extra sweetness. Yeah, the uh, and and the just huge number of of cardboard monies they give you in the auction game. Paper money, no, get out of here. I wouldn't even look at a game with this much paper money in it. Paul gets offended by paper money. I it, it I just don't like it at all. It is an affront. So uh, excellent value for either one of these games. I would, you know what? I would say if you are on the fence about either one of these games, you really can't go wrong with Modern Art Card Game at your local retailer or whatever, 15, 20 bucks. Throw it in there to get yourself some free shipping. You'll be hard-pressed to find some people who won't at least enjoy it three or four times. You will have gotten your money's worth. And if you feel like, you know what this game needs? More math. Then bump it up to the auction version of the game. And even if you... There's room for both of these on the shelf, I think. You know? I, literally, we can prove that. <laughs> With well, the amount of shelf space Most we have, people could also actually prove that. We could probably fit 50 or 60 copies of these on, on our shelves. I would recommend both of these. Now, if I recall, you had a little painting that you were uh, you were going to sell to me. Is that offer still $12? <laughs> oh, yeah. You saw everyone else got in on it, right? Yeah, I yeah. I see how it is. I yeah. see. Is it still $12? No, oh, man. I'll give you 11 round. Before, Oh, what? Wait a minute. Well, folks, we did it. We didn't think we could. We reviewed a Vital Lacerda game, and uh, we had such a good time doing it, we figured we'd just dive right in. And I think we're back for seconds. A big heaping helping of uh, Laterda. Ca- Laterda. <laughs> Cut. Take two. And and get a, a second heaping helping of Lacerda casserole right here on our dish. It's Thanksgiving. It's always Thanksgiving here when you've got when you've got helping heapings, heaping helpings of Lacerda casserole. I'm just going to put a stop to this food analogy mm. right now and just say that the, here we are, the gallerist. Was that was that the bit for this one? The yeah. the casserole? That, that was the bit? That's the best I could come You're up You're not going to try to pull out an accent? like a Oh, like a snooty accent? I don't know. I was thinking, yeah, maybe French or something. French, my French. No, I might offend somebody with my French. <laughs> The Gallerist, build your fortune by running the most lucrative gallery ever. A game by Vital Lacerda for ages 13 and up. 120 minutes. That sounds about right. One to four players. It's another one of these big Eagle Griffin games, big deluxe version. It's a beauty. My version I got uh, picked up from Amazon. They said that the box was uh, slightly damaged 
Uh, it looks like the forklift actually drove through it. Yeah. Like just sliced right in through the side. It looks like they threw it up into the air and then drove a forklift off of a ramp to try to pierce the box. <laughs> Maybe it was actually uh, used in Fruit Ninja. Fruit Ninja. It, it's color scheme. Yeah, it does look like. I, I, don't, I don't even know what's on that box. It, oh, it's lips. Just look for the box with lips. Oh, I guess it is lips. Yeah, it is lips. When in doubt, look for the lips. <laughs> I don't know. What uh, yeah, that, I don't know what either. That means Vitalisertas the Gallerist. It's a doozy of a game. It's a game about discovering artists, buying their art when it's cheap, figuring out ways to get that price up, and then selling, selling when the when the prices are high and the and the selling is good. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a uh, stock e element Stocky. there with yeah. that buy low, sell high. Yeah. So because this is a Lacerda game, we should probably cut the chit-chat and the jokes and get down to business. The business of buying and selling art. It's a serious business. Ian O'Toole has really another well-thought-out vision to pair with Vital Lacerda's gameplay. This one, The Gallerist, you have... Four museums. There's one home museum for each of the players, uh, up to four players. And there's a central courtyard that connects all these museums. That's where your guests, your museum guests, will start to collect before you lure them into your own museum. There are four different places that you can play. And each place that you can play for your uh, worker placement actions has two options. So just to kind of go through them really quickly, you have the place where you can either discover a new artist or purchase a piece of art. You have the place where you can pick up a contract to sell art, or you can actually sell art, but you have to have a contract for it first. Yep. Can't just stand on the corner with a bell, like something out of uh, Charles Dickens being like, sculpture of a weird looking rabbit for sale. (laughs) Then there is the place where you can either promote an artist or hire some new meeples. I'm sure Paul will get to that in a minute, what those meeples can do for you. I'm also sure he will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's very thorough that, that Paul. And then there's the fourth place, which I think is the most difficult to to explain thematically. What would you what would you call that spot, Paul? I'd call this a international market. It's where it's where you're gonna. Uh, I don't actually know. Please hold while we go look in the rule book. While he looks in the rule book, I will at the very least briefly describe kind of what you do over there, which is either position a meeple of yours so that you can hopefully end up with the most influence in either a column or a grid area for endgame scoring, basically. Um, you get little things that you can do right now as well, but for the most part, it's about having the most influence for either getting the extra paintings in the end or for giving yourself some extra bonus points, uh, different ways to score that you can pick up little chits for that you'll cash in in the end game. So we've covered, in a general sense, what all these different spots are. Uh, let's let's take a second to kind of lay out a little bit about how it all fits together. And then we can talk about how this game makes us feel. Sounds great. So Laura mentioned that this is a, a worker placement game. 
and you have one big worker, which is supposed to represent you, and then you have a bunch of little tiny minions. Uh, uh, what are they? Uh, assistants that you said they're, <laughs> they're not apprentices. Should we call them interns again? <laughs> interns, yeah. <laughs> you have your little interns that you send out to do tasks for you. But your main worker is is what you're going to be putting around on the board on your turn. You pick one of the four spots on the board to put your main worker down. And then at that spot, you choose one of the two actions that that spot gives to you. To start this wheel of buying and selling. The Lacerda hamster wheel. The Lacerda hamster wheel. uh, We'll start at the artist colony. You take your worker, put him down there. And now you can discover an artist. There are four types of art. You've got your photography, you got your sculpture, you got your your regular paintings, and then you have what we're calling uh, uh, NFTs. NFTs, <laughs> yeah. You got your lazy lines and your bored apes right here. Only you know they're a little bit more um, actually art. Yes, yeah. Bingo. <laughs> they're a- actually art. You've got your four types, and then every type has a blue artist and a red artist, and that kind of signifies their starting level of fame of what their works go for which matters because one of the things you can do with the artist colony is pick one of these eight artists you know for example the blue sculpture artist and if they haven't been discovered yet you get to discover them you turn over the tile representing that artist to show they've now been discovered and that means that up to two of their works can be kind of out amongst the different players they they have two works that they can sell And the bonus you get for being the person who discovered that artist, you can buy their one of their works at the lowest possible price at any point in the game, at any point in the game, no matter how famous they are. It's time to buy a painting. You can buy that artist's work for the cheapest possible price. That's pretty cool. And speaking of buying works, that's the second option you have at the artist colony is taking any discovered artist and buying one of their works. It's a pretty straightforward transaction. Uh, artists have a fame value and the more famous they are the more you have to pay the bank to get one of their paintings they basically have a track that uh you can step up through a variety of other actions on the board to up their fame yep and and once they reach certain tiers of fame that's how much their works will sell for they level up they level up so now that you've discovered an artist and you have uh, maybe bought a work or two now it's time to figure out what you do with it And since the object of the game is to have the most money, the thing you're going to want to do probably is sell it at some point. In order to do that, you'll head up here to the top of the board at the marketplace. And the marketplace has two different actions you can take. One of them is to pick up a contract. And a contract is literally just a card that has one of the four art symbol types on it, indicating that there is a person out there who really wants to get their hands on a photograph. It also has a built-in bonus action that you can send one of your interns to take as well. So the card has a dual purpose. Yep. As you'll see in pretty much all of Lacerda's games, there are free actions you can do. And in this game, contracts also have a free action associated with them. They're a one-time use. You take one of your interns, drop it down on there, and, uh, and, and you get to do the thing. We won't really cover what all the different bonus actions are because we would be here for a week. It's basically like get more money, get, get more, more fame, fame st- stuff like lure that. Lure people into your Lure people into, museum. Your, into your museum. We'll cover how to do that in a bit and yep. why you would want to do that in a bit. So you've got the spot where you can get contracts. Um, the other action you can do at this market is you can actually sell your work. And that is exactly what it sounds like. You have a, a work that you have purchased 
you look and see how famous the artist is and and whatever fame level they are determines how much that work will sell for sell it to someone who's hanging out in your museum and you'll get some money for it. And you also have to turn in a contract with a matching symbol, which is the other reason why you want to gather contracts. Yeah. So now that you know how to buy paintings and you now you know how to sell paintings, what if you want to make your paintings more valuable? What do we do then? We head on down to the media center and take some selfies and get on the daily podcasts. Those podcasts. What, who listens to podcasts? The symbol on our version for promoting an artist is actually the like thumbs up symbol. Thumbs up, baby. Down here at the media center, you can hire more interns. Oh, I guess that doesn't make them interns unless they're unpaid interns. No, they're all paid specifically, although there is an action you could take from like a, one of those little free co- free actions from the uh, contracts that does let you hire an intern. For hire free. an intern. Yep. Uh, the other thing you can do is promote some of these artists to make them more famous. And in order to talk about that, we have to talk about the other currency in the game, which is influence. We've got money. We use that to buy and sell things. And money matters at the end of the game because that's victory points. But the other currency in the game is influence. It's this track down here at the bottom of the board, and everyone starts with 10. In order to promote an artist, to make them more famous, you have to spend influence. Let's take, for example, our blue sculpture artist here. They start with, say, zero popularity. They have literally no popularity at all. No one knows who they are. They're pumping out sculptures of weird rabbits and dudes with no brains. But then you come down to the media center, and maybe you spend one influence to pump them up to level one popularity. They got one thumb. Then on a future turn, you spend two influence to get them up to level two popularity. And every time you do that, they're going to get more and more famous. There's an equation on how to do it. Not going to cover that. Just know that that's one of the actions you can do is you can spend this influence in order to make these artists more famous. And again, like so many Lacerda games, when you take an action like that, there's also a perk that's associated with it. Yep. So, you know, again, getting more money, getting more influence, getting this other currency in the game that we haven't even talked about yet, which is the tickets. We we'll have get a to third in a currency. <laughs> oh, boy. Tickets. Yeah, let's take a little diversion, a little a little grab the wheel. We're going to jerk it hard to the right and we're going to go to Ticket Town. Let's talk about Perfect. tickets. Ticket Town. So I've got this museum, but I need people. How do I get people to get into my museum? So people's come in three different flavors, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Yeah. And then you have tickets in the uh, corresponding Neapolitan flavors there to lure them in. Yeah. And they have, of course, the ability to buy paintings or they they have the use of, of buying paintings when you go to sell them. But they also have their own value as well for various things. For example, whenever you take a freebie get money action from the board it's going to be directly related to how many uh, chocolate and vanilla people you have in your museum yeah whenever you take one of those freebie get more influence actions on the board it's going to be your strawberry and vanilla people so there's always this relationship between how many folks are in your museum and what you're able to do and another reason these people are important is if you want to sell a work you got to have a work to sell you got to have a contract and you also have to have at least one person in your museum in order to sell that work to them. Once you've sold that work to them, that person in your museum moseys on out and hangs out in the plaza with their with their giant sculpture of a man without a brain, <laughs> kind of just wandering around looking for more deals. So how do we get these people in with these tickets? 
again, because this is a Lacerda game, on your turn, one of the things you can do outside of going to one of these locations is spend tickets. You can spend these tickets to lure people in from the center area of the board into your museum, or you can even steal them from other people's museums, assuming they haven't gotten too far in to the museums. So everyone has a museum, a lobby, and then there's the courtyard. So you can lure people away from the lobby. I'm imagining it's like you're outside in your own lobby, like banging a cymbal or something. <laughs> and they're like, what's that sound? And they wander back out. But once they're in the, um, the soundproof gallery. The gallery. Yeah. Because we're gallerists. We're not museumists. We're gallerists. Very good point. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Pedantry. <laughs> Precision of language. Precision of wording. <laughs> Things. So we've now gone over discovering artists, buying their stuff. We've gone over how to sell your paintings. We've gone over how to make the artists more popular, how to get more interns to scurry around and get your coffee and do other cool things for you. Finally, we have the international market. This is where you hobnob with the international elite and you try to get them to buy your stuff or you try to get them to come into your museum and, and check out the stuff that you have on display. So there's really nothing about the international market that actually feels like you're interacting with an international market. It's yeah. really, to me, that's like the weakest as, as far as the theme is concerned, but it's really, really useful. Yeah. So at the international market, you've got three columns, and these columns have an upper half and a lower half. The upper half is going to be populated with tiles that are little miniature private objectives for the end of the game uh, and then the bottom half is going to be little places where you put your assistance to mark that you have contributed to the end game auction i just threw a lot at you dear listener hang on we'll get through this together the private objectives up at the top you take one of your little interns and you just stake out one of those private objective tiles, move it over to your player board, get a little bonus for putting it down. And then at the end of the game, you've got now a new little private objective for yourself. But here's the thing, in order to put one of your interns down and claim one of those little private objectives, you have to have people in your lobby. I don't understand the thematic reason for this, but maybe if I wanted to claim one of these tiles uh, from the third column, that column number three says that I have to have one person of any type in my lobby. Maybe if I want to claim it from this other column, I have to have one vanilla person and one chocolate person in my lobby. So you basically have a, a little X, Y axis here where the the columns, you have to meet certain conditions for people in your lobby. Yep. And the rows, you have to meet certain conditions for uh, paintings that you have acquired or sold over the course of the game so far. Yeah. And if you have the cross section right then you can yep. snap up that little tile and get yourself some sweet, sweet... Bonuses. Bonuses. An immediate bonus, Yep. depending on where you place it. You have to kick somebody out from your lobby to do that. And you also get, as Paul mentioned, an end-of-game scoring bonus, which is something like... There are so many of them. I know, there's so many of them. It's like money, an amount of money per person of a certain type in your museum yep. or money per type of a certain kind of art that you've collected or, or sold over the course of the game, things like that. Yeah. The, the international market is where you go to, to kind of shape a little bit of what your end game strategy or of what your end game scoring conditions are going to be. Exactly. Um, the other part of the international market is the auction. Now you might be saying, what's actually up for auction? Hey, Paul, what's up for auction? What's up for auction is more art. 
At the start of the game, depending on how many players are playing, there's going to be one or more pieces of art put on little cute little wooden easels. And at the end of the game, those get auctioned off and you get to use those as if you have had them the whole time. Uh, and you can use those to count toward any objectives to score you more points. The way the auction works is in these same columns that we just talked about, there's spots you can put your interns to give yourself a little bonus at the cost of paying one, three, or six monies. Once again, there's a cross section here where yep. you have to have certain people in your lobby. Yep. And then you have to, that's the column yeah. again, same columns as the international market. Yeah. And then the row in this case is an amount of money, $1, $3, or $6. Yep. And you, you have access to that column and are willing to pay that much money. Then you can put your little intern right in that spot. And in addition to that being the money you've contributed for the auction at the end, you also get a little one-time bonus, maybe some extra tickets, maybe you some kind of influence bonus or money bonus. It's the same things. Yeah, all the same people things. in money influence. Yeah, these bonus types show up all over the place in this game. So now we've covered all four locations. We've done it. I can now actually inhale. Actually, you really can't inhale oh, yet I because you forgot inhale. one oh, thing late, about late. the international market. And that is that in the end game, all of these columns between yeah. the international market and the, the auction. auction are also scored based on whomever has the most first place, second place, and third place number of meeples of their color yeah. in that column. And that will get you also some money in the end game. Yep. And as we, as hopefully we've established, money is points at the end. You want to be the person with the most money. The richest galleriteer, gallerist. So that's all the things that you can do. Yeah. Then yeah. throw in the mix here that there's this mechanic where you can take a bonus action if somebody kicks you out of a spot. What does that mean, Paul? So I want to go over to the artist colony. And for my turn, I discover a red digital artist. I do my thing, I do my thing, I do my thing. My turn is over. My little player marker is there. But now you come along. And I'm like, I also want to go to the artist colony. Sorry, you can't. I'm hanging out here already. Well, actually, there's a second spot where I can kick you to. Wait, what? Kick me? What? Oh. Yep, boot. Oh. And then I get to do my main action there. But guess what? Paul's not left in the dust. Yep. Paul has an option. I, I pick myself up. I kind of rub the area where she gave me the boot. And now I get to do what the game calls a kicked out action. If I'm willing to spend some of my influence, I can also take the action at this spot, which means I will have effectively gotten a free turn just because I got the big boot. What I can also do instead is one of those executive actions we talked about, one of those free actions we talked about. I take one of my interns and I put it on maybe that contract that I have with those bonus actions, uh, something like that. It's, it's, it's a perk of being booted out of a place, but if deployed correctly, if you go somewhere where you know someone is going to want to go after you, you can get in their way so that they can give you the boot to give you effectively a free turn if you're willing to spend influence for it. And like, again, like so many of his other games, the ability to take an extra action is yeah. a really big deal and absolutely part of the strategy. Yeah. In fact, in this game, it is so much a part of the strategy that one of the things that you can do is leave behind one of your interns in a spot where you just were. To get them to get the boot. Yep. And then if that intern gets the boot. What good are interns if they're not going to take the boot for you? <laughs> exactly. Then you still get to take the kicked out action. Yep. 
So you can leave one of those interns behind if you move your marker somewhere else on your turn so that that intern can get booted later. Uh, that's, that's the game. That's the mechanics of the game. Now, we have kind of a spotty record with this game, and by that <laughs> I mean the first times we played it. I don't think we played it three times. I don't think we finished a game. Something came up, right? Something came up over and over yeah. with this game. Yeah, so we, we just never were able to finish it, and then we decided to hunker down and just get three games out, two or three games out in a row. Bang, bang, bang. Now that we've done that, now that we've actually played it all the way through, what do we think? Whew. Yeah. So like Escape Plan, yeah. this one has uh, hidden objectives mm-hmm. that can really have a dramatic impact on endgame scoring. I'm working to try to get two digital arts, a sculpture, and a photograph in my gallery. All of the hidden objectives have to do with what's in your gallery or what you've sold. Yeah. So it's all about the art that you collect or sell over the course of the game. And you have no idea when you see how your opponents are doing, uh, what objectives they've also ticked off yeah. from their secret objectives as, they, as, they've, as they've gone. Yeah. Now, maybe if you know the private objectives really well, you can say, oh, they've collected two digitals. That must mean they're trying to get the objective that's like two digitals and a sculpture and a photograph. But... It would take a lot, I think, for someone to be able to to recognize that right off the bat. Also, I think they're all kind of pretty similar. I don't know. I don't know how advantageous it would necessarily be to you to try to memorize them either. Maybe not. Maybe not. That's true. I I certainly wouldn't know because you know what? I've never won this game. The closest I've come to winning this game was losing to you by two points. I'm okay with that. And if you'd backed up like two turns <laughs> and made a slight course correction, you'd have you would have won. Yeah, probably. I enjoy it. I enjoy it a great deal. As do I. It was hard to get into. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Clearly, I mean, I think the fact that we put it down, you know, two or three times in the beginning, speaks to that. Yeah. But now that we've played it through. I think it's really a lot of fun. It's it's pretty good thematically with the exception of the international market over there. And there are gobs of ways to amass points. In yeah. fact, the scoring track, the end of game scoring track has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different scoring things. Seven different things that give you money. There's all kinds of ways to earn money at the end of the game. Yet during the game, where's all the money? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Where's the money? It's like you were you were um, musing yeah. that it might be possible to get yourself into a position where you literally can't do anything. I should do some research and find out about that. Yeah, because if you don't have money, if you get yourself in a position where the only two currencies that you have for being able to do things are yeah. money and this influence this track. This influence track. And because of the kicked out action and the incentive of spending influence to take an extra action i think we both hover around zero or low (laughs) or low on the influence at some point over the course of the game because we've made those choices most of the time you probably want to be hovering around zero uh until the game end starts to get near and then you want to just ramp up that influence because the more influence you have at the end of the game that translates directly into money so I do I do wonder if it could be possible. I had a situation where I had no money. Yeah. And the only thing I could do, what did I do when I had no money? What did I end up doing? Remember I said I, there's nothing I could do, but then I realized there was something I could do. So what you did was you went to YouTube, you took some guitar lessons, 
You sat down and you learned how to play uh, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out because you had no money and you just sang the blues for like two hours. It was weird. No, but really, what did I do? I don't remember what happened. I don't I th- remember how I got out of it. I think, I, I think what we actually did was you said, hey, can we retroactively pretend I didn't do the thing that gives me no money and we allowed you to kind of roll your turn back so that you could have money. You don't have money if you don't have interns and if you don't have influence potentially you could end up in a situation where there's literally nothing you can do. Yeah. And I I think you'd have to work really hard to get into that situation, but I'd be real curious to see if anyone has figured out what happens. One of my weaknesses is big, giant, perfect information games where everything is laid out on the board and we all just have to turn the gears in our brain to figure out what we need to do in order to win. No no hand of cards, no rolling of dice, no events that could throw anything for a loop. It's, it's all out there on the board, and you just have to figure it out. I'm really bad at them, and consequently that makes me not like them sometimes. I experienced that with this. I experienced that just getting, just getting rocked two games in a row. Once in a three-player game, I lost by 30 points. And once in a two-player game we played, where... I had like 55 points or 60 points and you ended up with 130 or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact, it was bad. It was a bad <laughs> loss, but I regrouped. I thought about it. I said, okay, what am I missing about this game? I understand how the game is played, but I don't know how the game is played. And I feel like I did a pretty good job of keeping pace with you and ultimately only ended up losing by two points. Yeah, it was so close. It was very close, and I consider that a win. I, you know, I covered the spread in my brain, mm-hmm. and I consider that a win. So what do you think you changed? Uh, I think I paid attention to, A, how everyone else is playing, which mm. is something that I, I don't do. In, I, I'll just do my own thing and then wonder why I lost by a billion points. In this game, you can see what other people are doing. Uh, you can see the artists that they're that they're discovering and the paintings that they're buying, and kind of figure out how to how to hop on that train. So at the very least, maybe they edge you out by three points instead of edging you out by thirty five points when when they when all is said and done and all their stuff is sold. Yeah. Speaking of hopping on the train, yeah, there was definitely a point in this most recent game where I had no art that you didn't also have or rather no artists that you didn't also have so anytime i promoted somebody i was also doing you a favor free money Ah, i did not like that i don't did not like yeah i don't remember which of those works i bought uh, at the low low price at the discovery price and which ones you bought at the discovery price but it was nice being able to see that uh, you weren't going to run away with it because you were promoting somebody that I had not gotten in on at all. Another thing I think we did in this most recent game was we kind of just made liberal use of the kickout actions. Oh, yeah. If if I wasn't uh, there myself, then I probably had left one of my uh, interns over there. So Same annoying. with you. There was definitely one point where... You know, we left each other with no options but to, to help <laughs> someone else get a kick out action. Exactly. Yeah, it's not not fun to know that you're going to give someone else a f- effectively a free turn, and and by extension, that meant that we were constantly spending influence in order to be able to use these kick out actions at, at their most effective. The second to last game we played, 
I was up at the 35, the top of the influence track the entire time, and I wasn't really spending it at all. And I learned the, that lesson. It got me a lot of points at the end of the game, but I just ended up having all this influence that I wasn't spending. And so really making use of this tool that Vital Lacerda has given us to potentially, if you just really get aggressive with it, double your number of turns that you have in the game is really, really cool. And I, I'm trying to think of any game off the top of my head right now that, that does anything like that. And I'm, I'm having trouble thinking about that. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, it could be because of the couple of drinks that I've had that, that is customary <laughs> before we start recording. But no, I, I can't. I can't think of that. And that's something that, that really adds something unique to the game. I think this is a, a fantastic economic game. Uh, the art theme is nice. It could have easily been some kind of stock market renaissance trader game or whatever. And, and the, the art theme is, is really cool. An excellent game. I know we have five Vital Asserta games, but I don't think this one's going anywhere anytime soon. Keeper. Keeper, yeah. Hey, Laura. Yes, Paul? Have you ever had a dream that that um that you had uh that you had to you could you could you do you wit you uh you could do so you could you could you want you wanted him to do you so much you could do anything? What are you reading right now? <laughs> I'm, what makes you think I'm reading anything? I've memorized that completely, a hundred percent. Have you ever had a dream that 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 um uh, no hey give me that ah oh, fine. Yes, I was reading that, but these these cards are just so, so so dreamy, dear listener. If only you could see these. These are these are magical cards. What game is this? These are beautiful cards. This is the game Canvas. Canvas by Road to Infamy Games. It uh, took Kickstarter by storm a couple of years ago, and they have got a an expansion coming out for it real soon, which is why it's on our radar right now. This is for all you kind of creative types out there who maybe like Dixit or something where you have this sort of whimsical, creative way of interacting with the art that you're creating here. In this case, you get at the beginning of the game three opaque colored backgrounds and the actual cards that are in your hand that you play with and accumulate over the course of the game are translucent on tiny pieces of plastic with uh, some part of an image on there, a couple banners on the bottom, which we'll talk about, and then a word. And as you assemble your deck, your goal is to, based on rules, which we'll talk about, choose three of these cards with an image, mostly translucent, and a word on them to layer on top of each other, to put on your background and make a unique piece of art. I have ominous curiosity <laughs> with uh, a cat from one one card and a, a giant fork with spaghetti and meatballs coming down from the top corner and then ah, a couple of birds at the very top uh, let's dig a little bit into how the game is actually played you've got these swatches of colors down at the bottom of these transparent cards that laura was describing these colored swatches from left to right are like the colors of the rainbow. You got your red, your yellow, your green, your blue, and your violet. And uh, these colors can have symbols in them. There's four symbols. There's shape, there's texture, there's tone, and there's hue. And when it's your turn, you can either 
pick a card from the layout of five available cards. The market, I suppose. The card market. If you want to take the leftmost card, great. But if you want to take anything past the leftmost card, you have to pay inspiration tokens, which are these little pallet tokens. And if you if you have enough, you can take the card all the way to the right if you want. But if you don't, then you're limited in what you can take. So you have to drop one of your inspiration tokens on each card up to the card that you wish to take, however far in it is. Yeah, so new tokens won't be introduced, nor will they leave. Everyone's going to start with four, and and those tokens are just going to kind of get passed around to everybody. Mm -hmm. So that if you end up taking something that is has been skipped over multiple times by other folks, you will regain some inspiration tokens. Yeah, get some flexibility. Uh, the hand limit is five. Once you have your fifth card on your next turn, you have to make a painting. Or you can choose to make a painting before you get to that point. And when you make a painting, you take three cards and you smash them together, lay them on top of each other. And I have here Chosen Escape. And it's a, a picture of a, a lady uh, standing in the wind, uh, uh, someone running away in a, what looks like a fedora and a suit. And then the hand of God coming down and pointing at both of them. And down at the bottom of the card, I have a red, yellow, green, and blue swatch. And uh, with a, a nice combination of the shape symbol, the texture symbol, and uh, one tone symbol in there. And those symbols are important because at the start of the game, you're going to lay out four scoring conditions. They can be anything from repetition, where if the shape symbol shows up twice, you'll score a ribbon. Proximity. If you have the the texture and the tone symbol next to each other, you'll get a ribbon. You have uh, something called emphasis, maybe, which is if you have exactly one color symbol on your painting, you'll get a ribbon. All these different ways that you can get ribbons. So the ribbons are ultimately what converts into points at the end. So That's right. Whenever you finish a painting, you will figure out which of the public objectives you have achieved and yep. the, which ribbons that you get for that. Uh, then there's also another one that lets you get kind of these bonus ribbons for meeting certain conditions internal to the painting that you've just created. Yeah, one of the symbols on those color swatches can be you get a black ribbon for every texture symbol in this painting. And maybe you'll grab a couple of black ribbons, which are just worth straight up two points at the end of the game. And then ultimately... Each of these scoring conditions yep. has a certain number of points that you get for the total number of ribbons of that type that you've accumulated over the course of the game. And the game is for three paintings only. So you have three paintings in which to achieve the as many ribbons as possible. Yeah. So as an example, the repetition objective that I mentioned earlier and keep coming back to because repetition legitimizes. legitimizes. Uh, if you manage to collect four ribbons from the repetition objective over the course of the game that's 16 points that's great and as laura said uh the game goes on until everyone has created three paintings now because of the way the game plays someone could finish their three paintings before everybody else and they kind of just hang out maybe they go uh, refill the cheese plate or maybe they go pour themselves another drink uh, but once everybody has created three paintings the game is over and you score it up whoever has the most points is the supreme canvasseteer of the group. Hey! Supremus. Supremus. What do we think? What do we think about Canvas? Why don't you go for it? You go first. I like this game. Yeah. It's it's not terribly heavy. Uh, it's really novel. It's uh, It definitely has appeal for that reason in and of itself, which is this layering of these translucent plastic cards. 
creates new images every time. And there's something really fun about that creatively. Yeah. Uh, and I love that they have the words there too. So the painting develops a title as you stack things together as well. The thing I don't like about this game yeah. is that it becomes an optimization task. Yeah. Especially as you near the five card hand limit and have to figure out which of these three cards you're going to put together. And you can get really stuck in that particular task. What is the best possible combination of three cards as far as the number of ribbons I can achieve by playing them? And that I think can grind the gears to a halt. That plus, I'm sorry, but can we just say triangles, squares, circles, and suns <laughs> for the shapes? Because you tell me that the circle that has a bunch of colors in it is supposed to be hue, yeah. and the triangle is supposed to be shape, yeah. and the square with some stripes in it is supposed to be shading. It's texture. 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 Case in point. Tone. Not helpful. Like, they, I'm sorry, game. I see what you're doing. You're trying to stick to this theme, <laughs> oh. but... They're really just shapes. Well, and can just, we just make them they're shapes? They're just like paintings. I'm just trying, to, just trying to entertain you. You have to be like that with me. Well, that's that's interesting that you have that because uh, I think this is a, a peach of a game. I'll tell you, the game, when you get it, comes with film, and I love peeling that film off. I'm going to be sad when the film is gone from all the cards. I think it's it's got a, a, a beautiful, beautiful look. I think it's enticing. I think it draws everybody in, and I do not like playing this game at all. Because, as you said, it is a complete optimization puzzle. There are no surprises. There is nothing. You just sit there and you just crunch. You just crunch for for five minutes on your turn, trying to make sure that you that you're getting the the optimal the optimal combination of everything. And and because there's no private objectives, there's no ah, they don't know that I'm about to play my trap card or whatever. Mm. There's none of that going on. It's everyone just staring at the board, crunching. And everyone can get a little chuckle when someone says, oh, I played, you know, immediate mistake or whatever. And we all go, <laughs> but, but that's it. It's, it's a shame that a, such a good looking game is just let down by such simple min-max gameplay that is super not engaging. All of that said, I think it's still worth keeping. And you bought the expansion. And I bought the expansion for it because... It's just everyone, everyone who we lay it on the table for, they just immediately dig it. They go, ooh, wow, that's really neat. And what good is being an uh, evangelist for games if you don't have games that can wow people that look really neat? How are you ever going to convince them to play a Vitala Serta game if they... <laughs> you got to start somewhere. You go. It's the... a gateway game, folks. Yeah. You start with Canvas and you can draw a straight line to Kanban EV. I like it because you picked Canvas and Kanban. There's a lot of overlap there. I should have said can, Kanban. Canvas to Kanban. Or Canvas to Kanban. Eh. You should. Do you want to record that so they can get the clever points? <laughs> nope. This was the clever point. <laughs> Canvas. Look, uh, it might not be a game for everyone. There, it's undoubtedly just a gorgeous game and had a lot of heart put into it. It's going to stay on our shelf for a while when that when that expansion comes in. We'll play it for a while. Uh, but I, I bet you this time next year, it probably won't be on our shelf anymore. Well, dear listener, we've done it. 
we've weathered the storm. We've come out the other end of the Bombo Genesis. And uh, hopefully you've weathered the storm too, like the onslaught. Those were some long reviews. <laughs> long reviews. And we thought, hey, let's tack on three other short ones on, on top of a, of a couple of long ones. We just used that as the mortar for the bricks <laughs> that are forming the wall that we are encasing the dear listener in. Kind of like that wall of snow that's around that car that's parallel parked across the street. That poor, yeah, I don't know what that, that guy's not getting back into that car. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see him try. We'll stand there and we'll watch him, pointing and laugh <laughs> at him like good neighbors. Anyway, that's our show. Please come back for episode seven, episode eight. Uh, stay away from episode nine, but then come back again for episodes 10, 11, and 12. Are you talking about your Final Fantasy games that you would suggest I play versus the ones that I should definitely not play? Uh, Final Fantasy, I would have advised you staying away from anything after 10. <laughs> but that's, that's not what I'm going to advise to our dear listener. So uh, until next time, and the time after that, but as we've established, not the time after that, dear listener, thank you for honoring us with your ears. You could do so, you could, you could, you want, you wanted him to do you so much, you could do anything. Canvas, what the f*** were you reading? (laughs) What is that even? I will play it for you later.